When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's good! It's good! It's good! It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball, turn, picks a flow, and touchdown Kelly's frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Saints fans, welcome in to Inside Black and Gold. We are in game week. The Atlanta Falcons first up for the Saints this Sunday. Definitely been counting down, looking forward to this moment. Jeff Jeff Nowak and myself, Steve Geller, along for the ride today, bringing you, could the Saints really win the NFC's top seed in 2022? There's one major media member that does think so. And we'll lay out how we think it can happen. Jeff's also got a one-on-one with Landon Young that we'll get into. Also, some news on Trevor Penning. We are expected him back sometime this season. And then also getting into biggest concerns and biggest strengths for this Saints team heading into 2022. Jeff, how you doing? I know I am feeling great coming off a little break. Yeah, I'm having a great time. I'm having a great time. I am excited about football. I got a good appetizer for it last night in the dome watching what had to be the worst end of game experience since the no call, you know, like, like it was that bad watching the way LSU lost that game yesterday. And I, all I could think of is man, I don't know who cursed that end of the Superdome, but Holy crap. I mean, Can anything good happen for a Louisiana football team at that end of the dome? It's insane. But anyway, it was a good, it was a good kind of like palate cleanser to like get me ready for, for saints football. And thankfully we have that coming up this week, even though they won't be in the dome. So, Hey, maybe something good will happen, but yeah, the Falcons are coming up in week one. And so we get this week, all of the crazy predictions for this nfl season (laughs) so this is kind of funny i i completely forgot that i had a fantasy draft that starts at four it is now (laughs) 413 so i have auto drafted the first three picks i hope it's not a money league let's see oh it is let's see who i got 
Hopefully not. I ended up with CeeDee Lamb and Saquon Barkley, and I had Cooper Cup as my keeper in the third round. So we'll be keeping up with that. We'll see how that goes. Anyway, off to a great start in this uh, in this year fantasy fantasy league. <laughs> How'd you forget oh, about it when it's a money league? And obviously you had a holdover. Yeah, it's a keeper league. Anyway, I always draft so horribly. Anyway, auto drafting is probably better for me. Let's be honest. Anyway, okay. So what we're gonna get into here is Peter King put out his kind of preseason column yesterday, and the really interesting thing is. He not only put the Saints to the playoffs, which I feel like, you know, anyone who's kind of spent some time around the team and kind of watched how this team has operated and some of the pieces they're bringing back, some of the pieces they brought in, I think it's fair to project them as a playoff team, right? 10 wins, maybe 11. Peter King went so far as to make them the number one seed in the NFC. Now, that surprised me when I saw it. But then when you kind of see how he got there, it makes sense because he has the Saints at 12 and 5 and Green Bay at 12 and 5 and no one else better than 11 and 6. And so, yeah, I mean, if no one in the NFC has more than 12 wins, then, yeah, I guess you could say that the Saints could be the number one seed in the NFC. But that's going to be a tough sell for me because we have to go all the way back to 2014 for the top seed in the NFC to have fewer than 13 wins. We have placed, we've placed 17 games now. <laughs> so that feels unlikely to me. Although this does seem like a season where there's no kind of super team in the NFC, right? I don't know if there is a, there is a dominant team. So maybe, maybe this is the year that, that everyone's kind of stuck in the middle of the pack, but yeah, Peter King, has made it so we can't say that everyone told us that the Saints don't have a chance from a national media perspective because it seems like he thinks they do. And Peter King has spent time around the team. He talked to Dennis Allen. He's he's quote-unquote smitten with the Saints. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's not a coincidence that, you know, Ian Rappaport showed up at Saints camp and he went away saying, yeah, this is a playoff team. Um Peter King showed up and, you know, watched this team practice, talked to Dennis Allen, interviewed the players, kind of got a read on the team. And all of a sudden he's saying they're going to go 12 and five and win the NFC. You know, I think that this is a team that's being very underrated. And the closer you, the closer you look, the closer you get to the project, the easier it is to see that. Yeah. For me with the saints, it's always been, Oh, Drew Brees is gone. Oh, Sean Payton is also gone this year. They're a team in disarray. There's no void of leadership. Uh, with coaching and in the locker room. But when you really break down the roster, obviously. And then, like you said, a guy like Ian Rappaport comes or whoever from the national media stopped by training camp to see this team in action. And you just notice, uh, obviously, stock full of talent and not just in one spot, really all over the field. That's pretty amazing to see. And I don't know, I think think besides the Saints, now that I'm, I'm thinking about it with, Peter King's rankings, where does he have the Rams? I'm surprised that last year's Super Bowl champs aren't considered one of the top teams in the NFC for him, considering I don't think they've really lost much. And I know they don't have Odell Beckham right now, but they're a team that seems to be uh, a legitimate problem, at least in the NFC. I'm not going to say a contender uh, right now, but they are a problem for the Saints. Yeah, he has the Rams at 10-7. and He has them winning the NFC West. 
But what he points out, and which is fair, is the Rams have one of the more difficult schedules in the NFL this year. And, you know, they don't have Odell Beckham Jr. They added Allen Robinson. But I do think it is very easy to overrate a team coming off of a Super Bowl, right? Like when you play that late into the season, when you have that type of emotional high, it's hard to just reset and come back the next season and have that same edge. You know, Aaron Donald considered retiring. You know, Sean McVay considered retiring. Now all of a sudden they're back and they're supposed to be playing with that chip on their shoulder the same way they had been. And that's harder to do than I think it than I think it sounds at times. I guess the que- the next question is, so how do the Saints get to 12 and 5? So to me, the way they get there is they start 4 and 1, right? They have the first five games. You have to go 4 and 1 against Atlanta. Tampa Bay, Carolina, Minnesota, and Seattle. So you can bake in a loss there and say they lose to Tampa Bay week two. You know, Tom Brady shows up and says, okay, enough of this, and just stomps on them in the dome, you know, finally gets that that win over the Saints in a Bucks uniform in the regular season. But in, And that's okay if that happens. You know, you can lose one of those games, and I think it's okay. They need to close at three and two. So they need to w- they need to win three games out of Tampa Bay, Atlanta, Cleveland, Philadelphia, Carolina. So if you do that, then you are seven and three in the beginning of the season and the end of the season, and you just and you have a run of Cincinnati, Arizona, Las Vegas, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, L.A., San Francisco. Right? It's pretty brutal with no break. Yes, and you would have to go five and two in that stretch, and that's a big ask. That's a big ask. I had them at 11 and six, and I still feel like 11 and six is the is is pretty close to the ceiling. I think if everything goes right, if Jameis plays out of his mind, you know, or if he, if he takes advantage of the weapons, if Michael Thomas is healthy, if Alvin Kamara doesn't get suspended, if Marcus May doesn't get suspended, if Tyron Matthew shows up and is the Tyron Matthew that we think he is, if Marcus May and Paul Adebo can lock down the edges, if Bradley Roby or PJ Williams or whoever fills in the slot can pick up without a drop off from what CJ had done. Right. And if the offensive line protects Jameis in the way you need it to, that's probably the ceiling of 12, 13 wins. But I feel like there's going to be games that you drop throughout the season. There's going to be health issues at some point or another. You're going to lose a game. You should win somewhere. And that's why I have them at 11, maybe 10. Um, but you know, I think that what you're seeing from Peter here and what I think is apparent to anyone who's watched the team a lot is this is a team that should, that should be on the right side of double digit wins. And I think 10 and seven, 11 and six is probably the most likely, but Peter is very, very, uh, very bold. And, you know, it's hard to hate that other than the fact that, like I said, it's kind of more fun when everyone's when everyone's picking against you and you prove them wrong, you know, once you start getting the hype, then it's easier to believe your own hype. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think you're going to get off to a good start one way or another, because I do not see Atlanta putting up much of a fight in week one. It's definitely going to be interesting, but you know, the, the Falcons, it's a division rival. Obviously these games are always, they always seem to be pretty close, no matter, you know, what's expected of a team or how they're even playing. I definitely worry about the, the beginning of the year, just because you have, Atlanta, Tampa, and Carolina, and and those three back-to-back-to-back are so important for the NFC South 
uh, right out the gates. I can't, I can't think of a year where the Saints had to come out and play three division opponents right off the bat. Yeah, I think, you know, when we talk about the, the playoff seeding, in the end, the NFC South is going to be a much more important than the NFC as a whole, <laughs> right? Because Definitely. I think that getting into that top four kind of bracket as with a home game is going to be very important for this team. And in order to get there, you're going to have to probably beat the Bucks at least once. And then you're going to have to probably sweep Atlanta and Carolina. And I think they can do that. I think that Atlanta, if you don't sweep that team, it's going to be a massive disappointment because I do not think that team is trying to win. I think that team is tanking and you got to be able to take advantage of that. And then over in Carolina, you know, I don't think they're tanking, but they probably should be because I do not think they are built to win. They, have, you know, it's what their third quarterback in three seasons. They just, heck, it might be their fourth quarterback in four seasons. If, you know, if you go back to Cam Newton, Right. And they just said they're rudderless. They're rudderless. Matt Rule is just desperately trying to cling on to his job. And you should beat them. So we'll see what happens. I think that defense is a little better. You know, and we saw that last year with the pass rush kind of gave him fits with the zone blitz scheme. But, you know, if, if you can win the NFC South, then you can start thinking about, you know, the top seed in the NFC. But I, I just I thought it was just really interesting to see Peter King, of all people, to put him up there. But, you know, he's 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 high on the Saints. So we're, we're going to see what happens. I definitely have to see a week one. Uh, I'm still, I won't say worried about the Falcons, but they concern me a little. I think it could be like that LSU game against Florida State where you expected so much from the Tigers, you know, in the Superdome, basically a home game against Florida State, but they just had a, a, a lot of letdown. And there's just some areas with the Saints team that could be some, uh, a little bit of concern going into the Atlanta game with, you know, how is Jameis Winston going to perform with this offensive line? Uh, I don't think there's any real concern about the wide receivers other than will Mike Thomas's hamstring be healthy enough to get him on the field week one. Tight ends a little bit of a, a mixed bag between the health concerns also of Troutman and Taysom Hill. And then with defense, not so much of concerns or worries except when you get at linebacker depth and then now also maybe safety considering you dealt away cd deuce and we don't know what lies in store for marcus may so we'll see what happens this week at practice but uh, i'm i'm definitely not writing off this falcons team as someone that's just it's an automatic win and even if they are in rebuild tank mode they're two wins that they get on the year they'd love to do nothing more than against the saints yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, if they if they are tanking, they're still going to try to get those games against the Saints. Like they're still like the the team is not going to be like, "Oh man, we don't have a chance." That that's that's their Super Bowl at this point. For sure. Um and so the the thing that's going to be a question at all points throughout this season to me is is Marcus May there? What is the status of Marcus May? Because I don't know what to think with him. I mean, this is a guy who we already knew had a potential suspension hanging over his head with the, the DUI incident back from 2021. Now he has an arrest for another incident out in Jefferson Parish where he allegedly pointed a gun at people. And I don't know what to think of that. You know, I think it's going to end up being kind of a he said, she said situation. He's come out and said that he denies the allegations or his lawyer did at least. So, you know, maybe that kind of pushes back discipline from the NFL because they're going to have to figure out what exactly happened there. But we're not going to find out from Dennis Allen whether 
he's going to play because this is what he had to say today. Listen, I mean, that we're getting into a bunch of hypotheticals. Uh, we'll have all the healthy bodies that we have ready to go, and then we'll make that decision as we um, continue throughout the week. Cool. Healthy bodies and non-suspended bodies. Yeah. Thanks, DA. <laughs> Thanks for that for that great clarification. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I think he's going to be active. We There was no open practice today, so we didn't get to see, you know, what if he was there, he was not there at the end of last week. So take that for what it is. I, I think he's going to be active because I think I don't think you're going to put him on the exempt list and he's not going to get suspended that quickly. But it's just going to be something looming. It's just going to be another thing you have to worry about all season long. And, you know, you already have Alvin Kamara potentially getting suspended. Now you have Marcus May. And if this season goes off the rails, it's going to be because, you know, these two key players get suspended at very inopportune times. Uh, and that's what I'm that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, too. If Kamara were to be suspended for this year, personally, I'd rather it on the front end than the back end. And I don't want to see him, this team, not having Alvin Kamara on the field come, you know, November, December, into January kind of thing. But the way that that case has been going, I don't know if we'll even see a resolution in the courts this year, which might push it, obviously, into next season. Still don't know where the NFL stands on this. I don't know if Dave's seen the alleged surveillance tape of Alvin Kamara. Who knows? Also now, like you mentioned with Marcus May, I don't. I can't imagine that the proceedings with his latest issue, forget the DUI, the supposedly of showing a firearm t- to a bunch of un- uh, to teenagers in a quote-unquote road rage incident is what I – what I saw they were calling it, it was amazing that I had one of my buddies who was at the beach with us breaking this news to me because I had left my my cell phone in the hotel room because I didn't want any connection to the outside world. But uh, it's just uh, definitely something Dennis Allen does not want to hear or deal with right now. But the fact is that it's, it's there in front of him with Marcus Mann. I don't know when we could expect to hear anything from Jefferson Parish or his lawyer again. No, and, and sorry, I'm trying to figure out who to draft here. Okay, I'm going to Christian Kirk. Sorry. My team is terrible, by the way. <laughs> you want to hear who my team is? We can talk about this, and then we can go to a break. <laughs> this my auto-drafted team. So, Saquon Barkley, CeeDee Lamb, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, Clyde Edwards-Elair, and Christian Kirk. This is not the team I would have drafted. But, hey, this is probably going to be the team I end up winning with. So, this is how dedicated I am to this podcast. I... I I prioritize this over the fantasy draft that I've been waiting weeks for. <laughs> yeah, and and you know what? Like you said, that's your money league too. So you're messing. You're more dedicated to to this than over a money league, which is impressive. I have several money leagues, so ah, that, that's real. That's the bigger issue. Dollar, dollar like, how do I keep track of all of these leagues? But hey, you know that's what all they're drafting for, right? But okay, let's let's cut it off there, and we're gonna come back with. More on Trevor Penning. We, we found out a bit more about kind of his recovery timeline today. We're going to hear from Landon Young. Uh, make sure wherever you're listening to smash that subscribe button uh, and let us know. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And uh, stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Trevor Penning isn't yet. We're here on Inside Black and Gold, and we're going to talk about 
the big rookie who is nursing his big toe. <laughs> he had surgery. And and so let's let's be clear here. And, and this is something that I think confused a lot of people when it happened. Trevor Penning does have turf toe. Now, turf toe is when you sprain the ligament of your big toe. And a, a, a sprain, if it's bad enough, that can constitute a tear, which is what happened. So you have to have surgery to repair it. So that is what he has had done. It has reportedly gone well. And what we learned today is the team is hopeful to get him back at some point in the 2022 season. Now, I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller on Inside Black and Gold. And we're going to get into this a little bit. I think that was always the idea to get him back. I don't think that anything has changed in terms of the Saints perspective because they kept him on the 53-man roster and then reverted him to IR. And you do that because you want to maintain the ability to bring a guy back. Because if you put someone IR on IR in the preseason, they're done for the year. If you wait and you put them on IR after the cutdown, then you are able to bring him back. This year, it has to be at least four weeks on injured reserve. Last year, it was three. They changed it. So now it's four. And you can bring back as many as eight people off of injured reserve, which is another change. Last year, it was three weeks, and you had an unlimited number of people you could bring back. This year, it's four weeks, and you're capped at eight. But Trevor Penning and Malcolm Roach are the two players that got sent to IR. And I think both of those guys, you're hoping to get back. What we found out today, Ian Rappaport broke the news this morning. You know, I think the Saints got positive news on the surgery, and they're hopeful to get him back at some point, maybe in November. And that would put you, you know, sometime around week nine, week 13, where he'd be back in the field practicing. And hey, if you can get him back later in the season, you never know what's going to happen with injury luck. You never know how James Hurst is going to play. We're going to find that out. And I think that'd be a good boost late in the season if they can get him back. Yeah, and I think going into it, most of us, at least at WWL, and I'm sure other media members were, I don't think anyone was really considering that Trevor Penning was coming out the gates starting at left tackle, but maybe week five, week six, you know, down the line kind of deal, he might have earned more snaps or at least getting into that rotation. And by the end of the year, he would hopefully have earned that job. And now that kind of projection takes, you know, a little bit of a backseat with the injury, but you're still looking at least having him for some of this year, which is obviously key for his development and also for meshing with this offensive line and also uh, just bodies in general, you know, guys are going to get dinged up along the way. So getting him back after a, a little bit, uh, the, maybe the first, second half of the season that you start to get him into the line with the, with the rest of the guys is going to be good. And I, I don't know, I thought it was definitely going to be a more serious injury when he was carted off. Thankfully that's not the case though. Well, I mean, it is a serious injury. Like that's, let's be real. It is a very serious injury. And I think the name turf toe kind of leads you to think like, oh, it's not that significant, but it is a significant injury, especially for an offensive lineman. And we're going to get into that a little bit more when we hear from Landon Young. Here's what Dennis Allen had to say on that when we kind of asked him, you know, okay, is are you guys confident you can get him back? This is what he had to say. Yeah, I think there's some 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 hope that he'll he'll be back at some point. Um, and you know, certainly he's going to work extremely hard to try to get back out here. So hopefully it's sooner rather than later. But um, you know, we'll just have to see. That's the key word. You know it. Yeah, I think in this case, Trevor's not going to be out there practicing on uh, on <laughs> Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, 
But I think uh, they're off tomorrow, right? I, I believe when? they are. Even though it's weird because they were off all weekend, so I don't know. Maybe they'll change that up a bit. But yeah, usually they'd be off on Tuesdays. So we'll see how they operate. This is kind of weird because normally we'd be able to look back and say, okay, this is how they handled it last year. But last year was so bizarre in the sense that they were relocated due to Ida that we really don't know how they would have handled that last year. So we're kind of just figuring it out. But yes, the team is likely off on Tuesday and I do not think Trevor Penning will be out there on Wednesday. So our streak of sooner rather than later, meaning tomorrow will probably end at three. But I think that is, that is, Confidence inspiring. And I, but I think, I don't think that anything necessarily changed because if you went into the surgery thinking he was done for the year, you would have just tossed him an IR in the preseason and you would have said, okay, we'll see you next year, Trevor. But yeah, I think they want him back. They want him. I think it's honestly more important that he gets back for his confidence than, than necessarily the Saints. I don't know if he will be ready to play even when he's back in practice because he's going to have to get back right. into shape. He's going to have to, you know, get comfortable on that foot. And that's going to be a, a much steeper hill than you would say maybe at a skill position where it's more about muscle memory. This is about like you want to make sure he's not hurting himself further because he's trying to play through an injury before he's really ready to get back. But yeah, and, and I think that's that's the important thing to keep in mind here. Well, with with Penning, you know, we saw some positives. I know everybody was quick to jump on him after that first preseason showing, but I. I thought there was obviously improvements in the Green Bay matchup. And then obviously he got hurt in the, in the finale, but you know, you were seeing a young player make those gradual steps. And I'm just glad that obviously James Hurst, you know, he's looking last week, he came back and I wasn't sure if his foot injury was going to be serious either. Then the saints would have been in really big trouble with both left tackles down. No doubt. Um, and so that's where we can kind of go into the Landon Young interview. And, you know, I kind of just talked to him about, okay, this is, you know, your first season kind of making the roster, knowing what to expect, kind of got into Trevor Penning's injury. Now, I think I, I had mentioned this earlier, but Landon Young also dealt with this injury last year. He suffered it in the Philadelphia game. He played through it and he also underwent surgery. So he has a really good kind of insight into what Trevor's going to be dealing with. And so uh, here you go. It's always kind of an uh, interesting kind of time of year when you're going to get through the cuts and come in. And, and how, are you, how are you feeling about, you know, your, your role on the offense this year? I definitely feel pretty good. Uh, you know, like I said, everyone that's on that 53-man roster has a role at some point in the year. And everyone plays a key position. Of course, you have your starters that are going to st- that start every you know game they can. But you're one snap away from being put in a situation that you're the guy they rely on the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel really good about it. I think you know there's been a big jump in progression from last year to this year. I think that the improvement's been there. Um, but I'm uh, I'm excited to get into this next season and, and see how it goes. Now, one thing you said is you know after coming from Kentucky, you didn't have a, a cadence, right? Yeah. You know what? Just for the layman, uh, like. What does that mean exactly? Like, how, how did you operate at Kentucky versus how you operate now? What's the difference? Uh, so our situation in Kentucky is we really, our center pretty much uh, uh, said go hit and snap the ball when he wanted to. And it was never really a timed process. Like, it was never like a, uh, a clap and you had a certain amount of seconds until they said a certain sentence to go off of yeah. and you could jump that. It was sort of just a go hit and that was it. You know, so you can you watch film after film after film of yeah. just – 
all of us super late off the ball. Center's always first one <laughs> off the ball. And it should be everybody at the same time. Um, but that was definitely something that we struggled with that it took a it took a while to learn when I actually got here to sort of learn how to jump a cadence and get off on that. And what was the kind of, like, what did you have to do to kind of fit? It, like retrain yourself like was were there any tricks again? so yeah it was it was definitely uh trying to you know it's different for every quarterback every center snap eric he's a little quicker than some of the other centers that we have uh but learning that cadence and knowing you know it's really you're jumping it before the the point when you're actually supposed to go off mm. you know it's a, it's a surprise factor that's what we have as offensive line you know 90 percent of the time we're going backwards or we're in a compromising position we know we know the play and we know the snap count mm. so we have to be able to use that as an advantage so being able to jump that snap count and sort of like i said train when you think it's going to be and sort of get that timing down and, and it's a big thing of working with these guys for reps and reps and reps to be able to get used to that gotcha um i know you missed a, a few days of practice what, what were you dealing with if you don't mind uh, going into that yeah i had a, a little uh, uh hip flexor uh, a strain up in green bay so we're, we're recovering off that and uh getting back slowly and surely so are you kind of are you back to full now or are you still kind of yeah getting back? back in there so uh, uh we've actually the last couple of days been able to get out and practice so uh getting uh, just ramped up ramped up a little more each day awesome and you know just you know obviously trevor's dealing with that injury now what is your advice to you know obviously you went through the rookie season last year and kind of the trials and tribulations with that what is your kind of advice to a young player dealing with an injury like that like how do you, get through? you know and i was actually in the same exact situation as him you know coming out of my rookie season uh week 11 did the almost exact same thing as trevor did and so for him it's you know stay in here stay involved you know, come in and absorb as much as you can because no matter if you're injured or what, there's a time that you're going to come back. Right. You know, you're going to rehab, you're going to get better, you're going to spend a lot of time in there. But stay in the book, stay in film. So when you come back, it's not like you've took a step down. Right. It's like you're continuing on, if, you, if not even got better. And I think that was a big thing for me is like through the rehab process and through film and everything, I feel like I still made a jump even though I was injured. So you, you dealt with the turf toe kind of issue last year? Yes. So how, coming back from that, you know, what is the what is the kind of hurdle there? Like, because I think when most people hear turf toe, I think they underestimate, you know, how significant it is just because it's like turf toe, you know, it doesn't sound bad. But like, what is the challenge when you're trying to get back? It, it's a lot of challenge because, you know, this is something that we depend on as linemen. Right. You know, our, our feet are, if our feet aren't planted in the ground, something's wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, so, you know, having ligament damage, soft tissue damage, joint damage, you know, all that is it's very hard, and you think it's so minuscule, but in the grand scheme of things, like, we have to use that every single play. Yeah. And if you don't have that healthy, like, you're out there for a miserable experience. I, I played the rest of the Philly game last year with uh, the broken bone and all that, that ligaments torn and everything, yes. and it was miserable. But, you know, in that situation, I had to do what I had to do. Yeah. Same thing with him. It was preseason. I'm glad it was preseason and not, you know, it, it worked out in the situation that if it were an injury, that that was the best case scenario. But uh, I hate that it happened for him. I, I've been in that headspace. I've been there. I, I understand it. And I'm just, I know he's uh, had surgery and hopefully doing good. And we're excited to have him back and, and get him back and see how he's feeling. But yeah, that, that was Landon Young. And I, I really did, I think he, he made a great point there, which I think, and this is why it's more important, I think, for Trevor to get back this season than necessarily is for the team to get Trevor back this season. He needs to get back and continue his progression because he's the guy who you would hope is the starting left tackle next season, right? I think getting him back for the tail end of this season is going to mean he is light years ahead 
of where he would be if you just said, okay, we're going to cut it for this season and go back. Because for a guy like that, for a young player, especially someone coming from an FCS school that is still kind of getting his feet under him, you know, confidence is everything. And hopefully he's, he's dealing with this the right way and he can come back and still be that guy. Um, because, you know, I thought he was showing really good signs toward the end of the preseason. And, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't go his way. Yeah, you, you mentioned that, you know, obviously getting the reps and the player development. This is kind of like the reverse scenario of Peyton Turner, I guess you would say, from last year. Although he missed a bunch of time uh, early on as well because of injuries. And, uh, you know, only played five games last year and then was put on the shelf. But, yeah, the the continuity with continuity for Penning, too, with this offensive line is going to be key i think that his development it, it, at least we were off the covid year this year and there was more interaction of players in the building than there was the past two seasons and i know it's been been tough on the young guys having to deal with that but for penning at least he's been around for most of this camp he got that under his belt suffered that injury obviously the third game but i i mean as long as he keeps working at it, like Landon Young said, you know, keeping that headspace, staying in the playbook, doing your rehab work, getting stuff in at the team's facility. I'm, I'm hopeful that he'll will be able to return this year and we will see what he can, what, what more he's capable of on the field, because obviously we saw some flashes of that toughness and that, that tough, mean, gritty guy uh, in the trenches, but you know, there's nothing like those real reps you're going to get in a regular season, even even just compared to those preseason live, quote unquote, bullets. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. And I thought he was a mauler in the run game. And that's what you wanted to see, because that was supposed to be his calling card. And it was. And so, you know, if you only have to work on, you know, one element of your game and you can say, OK, this is a this is a strength of mine. And now I have to make a weakness, which pass protection I would classify as his weaker part of his game right now you have to work on that turning that into a strength then that's you know that's progression that's where you want to be um getting to this question here from the keeping it real who that sports podcast um says landon young did not have a good preseason can you tell if his confidence is still high how do you think he performed yeah he struggled at points but you know he's the backup for a reason one thing that i'm always impressed by from landon is just his approach to the game I was talking to Christian Garrick about this and because, you know, and I wasn't here for the beginning of Zach Streif's career. He was, and he, what he said is, you know, he reminds Vanden Young is a very, very reminiscent of a young Zach Streif. You know, a guy who was a seventh round pick, a guy who was not expected to be a longtime starter in the NFL. And, but he was able to, to get there by, you know, understanding the game working it harder than anybody else and now he's he's a coach for the saints and he was a co-worker uh, with with y'all i wasn't there at the time but he was a co-worker with us at wwl um and i think that's you know if, if landon young has a future in the nfl i think kind of if he wants to emulate zach streif who is now his coach i think that would be a very good place to start they play the same position they came out you know i think landon young was a sixth round pick but essentially you're talking about the same thing and so like yeah i mean He's not a guy you want to rely on as a starter right now, but I think in terms of being a backup right tackle who you trust to understand his role and come in and do it, I think he'll be fine. He did struggle in the preseason, and 
you know, that's what the preseason is for. You got, you want the guys who are not your starters to improve. And I think he did. So I'm not, I'm not worried about Landon Young's confidence. I think just listening to him talk, you can, you can understand kind of his approach and he's not getting, he's not letting, you know, a couple bad reps get to him. Yeah. And Streif was a guy that when he came into, uh, while he contributed uh, very early on, he wasn't really a starter along the offensive line, I think till year five or six with the saints. Right. So, I mean, there, there's still more time for a guy like Young to develop, but where he is right now, I, I think is perfectly fine. Yeah, and I mean, this team clearly likes him. You know, they cut their sixth round pick from this year. You know, so like being a being a sixth round draft pick is not a guarantee that you make this roster. You have to earn that spot, and I think he has, and uh, I think it's telling. Um, famous Jameis one asks any update on Michael Thomas? Not really. Um, he wasn't at practice the last time we were able to get out there. There was no open practice today. So we didn't really get an idea of who was out there or not. I think Steve, I wasn't at open locker room, but you said you did see him wandering around. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Was it? He came in from one of the doors, saw the media was there, walked right through and went into the, uh, you know, training facility. Uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk to him, but he was walking. Didn't look like there was any, you know, noticeable issues with the hamstring, but obviously that's really hard to tell. He walked in and said, whoop, I forgot. <laughs> this is going on now. I need to get out of here. The media, well, yeah, and we pretty much know anyway, though. It's like he's not the most approachable player either. Come on, like honestly. Yeah, I mean, he's just he doesn't like talking to the media. I think it's, you know, we, we, we know it. He knows it. It's not a secret. I'm not concerned about Michael Thomas's hamstring. I think... He probably was dealing with soreness and they, they they're playing it as safe as possible. A lot of guys didn't practice last week. A lot of guys missed a lot of practice last week. Everyone was kind of just nursing whatever they had to nurse. Um, these are all guys I talked to and they have all said that they are feeling good. That's Adam Troutman, Alante Taylor, James Hurst. I chatted with Carl Grinch and he said he's feeling fine. And then Landon Young, who you heard from, he was dealing with a hip flexor. He's feeling fine. So I think that what you saw last week was anyone who was dealing with anything lingering, which my for Michael Thomas, that was the hamstring. That was the week you kind of got things cleaned up. And the other guy is Paulson Adebo, who was dealing with an ankle injury. And he says he expects to be out there. I know you talked to Pete Werner today. Uh, what did he have to say? Yeah, he basically said that that is the goal, too, is to be, you know, on the field for week one uh, right now, feeling good, and hopefully – continues that way obviously with that groin issue you know it's something that you could suffer a setback with anytime and you know that wasn't his problem early on he came back and then during training camp and then boom Warner was gone gone again with it but yeah at, at least he was you know in the locker room talking to uh, the media and you gotta hope that he's alongside DeMario for week one in Atlanta because that's been this vision that we've seen, you know, we've been having amongst the linebacking group and we expect Warner to have this big sophomore season. And I'm sure obviously he is too. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about this, like there is concern for me at the linebacker position, but as long as Pete Warner and Demario Davis are healthy, I don't have concerns, <laughs> right? The concerns come in behind them. So getting Pete Warner out there healthy is important. And uh, so then it looks like they're going to be able to do that. And the question is going to be, can he stay healthy? Because it's never a good sign when you when you leave with the same injury twice. 
Uh, but yeah, but I think we're going to get the first injury report on Wednesday. I expect to see Michael Thomas at practice in some, it probably limited, right? I don't know if he'll be in full, but I expect he will be at practice. Um, oh, they'll, they'll definitely pull him limited. You know that one for sure. Whether it's gamesmanship or not kind of thing. Yeah, Michael Thomas won't be listed as full health all the way probably going into game day. That's that's how it goes. Wait, okay, here we go. We're go- the, the, the chat has devolved into people arguing over whether LSU should have gone for two. They should have. <laughs> uh, the funny thing about this is I was up there, I was recording the celebration after the touchdown, which, first of all, Jare Jenkins is a stud, right? Remember last year, the final game of a regular season, he catches a touchdown from Max Johnson with no time left on the clock and wins that game against Texas A&M. Here he comes out in LSU's next game that isn't a bowl game with, you know, an actual roster, and he catches not one, two touchdowns on the final two drives of the game for LSU to, to, to quote-unquote tie that game up, and then, and then they can't block on an extra point. That was a rough game. Hopefully the next time we're in the Superdome, we, uh, we have better things to talk about. Anyway, that's going to end it for that segment on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Saints' biggest area of concern, which I think they have a few, and their biggest strength. Stick around. Welcome back into our third segment of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak bringing you week one talk heading into the Falcons game in Atlanta Sunday, September 11th. We finally got real Saints football. Uh, Definitely looking forward to more of the practices heading into the games this week. We'll see some more information. We'll get some more information on players that we're wondering about. But right now, we're talking about some of the Saints' biggest concerns and also the Saints' biggest strength heading into this week's matchup. And what do you want to start with, the, the concern or the strength first, Jeff? Well, I just flashed up the banner for strength, ah. so that's where we're going to go with. If you're listening to this podcast, there is a video version and there's a banner. So there you go. Yeah, so I think, you know, it is weird because you're talking about a team that had to replace a Hall of Fame quarterback two years ago that or last year that had to, that's replacing Sean Payton this year, a hall of fame head coach. And I'm still going to sit here and say the biggest strength for this saints team is, you know what to expect. You, you have really good continuity, both on the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And you know, that's a, that's a strength, right? This is a team that knows what, it, you know, you can have, like we talked about this, you know, you might have questions about the offensive line, but you have five returning players on the offensive line. Four returning starters and one player in James Hurst who got a lot of time and you are very familiar with. That's a good thing. You have a returning starting quarterback in Jameis Winston, who you should have some confidence in. You have, you're have you returning your star running back. You are returning, you know, three wide receivers who you feel okay with because they got a lot of time last year. Your depth receivers were your top three receivers last year. And while that was a struggle, getting your bottom three receivers, top three receiver reps is a good thing this year. At least it wasn't a good thing last year because that was painful, but this year it's a good thing because now Marquez Calloway, Deontay Hardy, Traquan Smith are going into the season with a lot more confidence than they probably would be, you know, maybe Traquan excluded because he's hurt and 
I don't even know. Traquan is Trey. But either way, that's continuity. And then you're bringing back Michael Thomas. You've added Jarvis Landry. You've added Chris Olave. So these are weapons along with the players that you're bringing back and, and Nick Vanette and Adam Troutman, who I think are other guys who should have a little more confidence heading into this season. So to me, that's the strength. That's the strength. And that's only the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball is similar. And so like, you know, when you look at a team that's going into week one and you have some questions about what they might be able to do, it's really nice to be able to kind of lean on the fact that, you know, we've seen this show before. And while Sean Payton might be calling plays anymore, might not be calling plays anymore, Pete Carmichael, that's just, you know, he's been around that for a decade. He understands it. He knows what to do. And, uh, you know, I feel good about that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned Pete Carmichael Jr. When we had Lance Moore on Sports Talk uh, the other week, he talked about how Pete Carmichael might actually be a more aggressive play caller than Sean Payton was, which I thought is very interesting, where he's he's more about uh, taking more chances than even Sean did. So I'm, anx- I'm anxious to see what he has. He, he's got under his belt now for this season, considering – He's no longer got Sean to answer to. And then with the defensive side of the ball, yeah, we've had Dennis Allen around and he's got, you know, still with his coordinators that have been here as well. The, the, the guys, the staff, most of the players um, there, there is that continuity. What I also, you know, the, the strength we talked about with this team to me stands out at cornerback, maybe a little less now, obviously with, without a guy like a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in the mix, but with, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, Paulson Adebo, and and then also Bradley Roby in the mix, those three corners right there, that trio might be the best in the NFL for me. Yeah, I, I do have questions now about what you do at Block Corner. I think you're going to try to try out Bradley Roby there. You know, I, I want to talk a lot more about Bradley Roby. I think that's what I'm going to pitch for next podcast, because I got, uh, you know, I talked to him a good bit about, you know, being a ball hawk and, uh, you know, he had a lot of interesting things to say. And, and I think I want to be able to do it justice and talk about it a little more in depth, but you know, he's a guy who I think is not at his best when you're asking him to line up and be physical with a big bodied receiver or tight end. It's just not the matchup I want to see him in. I want to see him in robber coverage. I want to see him be able to crash down and be that ball hawk. Um, and so I think that what you're going to end up seeing is PJ Williams in the slot. So, because I think Bradley Roby is a guy who I want to play on the outsides when I need him. And I want to have him in dime packages when the, the offense is just going for broke. But yeah, I mean, I think that this team is really confident in Paulson the Debo and for a good reason. And if you can lock down on both sides, if you can, if you can have a lockdown corner, across from Marshawn Lattimore, something, you know, I, I think he showed that in flashes last year and, and now, and those flashes were made it very difficult for teams to score. You know, this is a really good defense last year and they were dealing with injuries every week. The defensive line was in shambles a lot of the time outside of Cam Jordan, who is just, you know, uh, you know just carved out of granite. He is impossible to keep out of the game unless the NFL makes rules that force him to be out of the game. Um, and, you know, that's if, – if, if I had to pick a positional strength, it would have to be outside corner. Um, because even if, if one of those guys don't go down, you know, I feel supremely confident in Bradley Rowe being able to come in and hold up. You know, I know he got beat over the top uh, against the Chargers, and 
you know, it was a, it was a rough play by him, but again, it's a situation where you threw the guy in press man coverage. You didn't give him any help over the top. And if you ask me what a weakness of Bradley Roby's game, it would be physicality at the line, physicality at the point of attack. And that's where he got beat. Um, so, you know, I think DA owned up to that after the game. He was like, yeah, it was a bad call by me. I put him in a bad situation. And, you know, I think that that's where, you know, Bradley Roby is not a perfect cornerback. But if you put him in the right situations, he can be a weapon in the secondary. And I think that's what you want to see from him. And what you were talking about with Debo, that's going to be a case. If he comes out this season and has a sophomore slump, then all of us, and I'm talking everybody that watched training camp practices was totally wrong because he was pretty much everyone's all-star of training camp that stood out, was having a fantastic camp, uh, tons of pass breakups, being able to to uh, read the plays and, and jump on the ball. I can't see how that doesn't translate to the regular season. And if so, then training camp is a sham. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that, you know, I don't think he's he's been a mirage. I think that he is that physical outside man corner that you were hoping he could be. And it's just a matter of, you know, when you play that physical, you know, injuries happen, you get tangled up, you get that, you know, I think that's, that's where you have a little bit of concern with a guy who's already nursing an ankle injury. And, you know, you get your feet tangled up, you're going downfield, and you're kind of just, you're laying out. And, you know, that's where injuries happen. So that's, if I had a concern, that would be it. But that's why having a Bradley Roby is kind of that elite depth is good. So I feel good about it. Let's shift to, you know, the biggest area of concern. And, you know, <laughs> this is kind of funny because it's also in the secondary for me, but my biggest concern is on the back end in the safety depth, because, you know, you've already heard from me about why I hate the CJ Gardner Johnson trade. I ranted about it for at least 10 minutes last week. And, you know, it was Part, largely because I thought that they really just got shafted in terms of the, the return they could have gotten back for a guy. But also, you know, you're really starting to question the depth now, particularly its safety, because you now have Marcus May <laughs> facing some sort of legal implication. I don't know what he's going to be facing in the end, but it's not a situation where you're feeling great. You now are down a nickel corner, so you have to figure out who's going to play there. And I think you want to have PJ up there. But if you need to have PJ play in the back end, if you need to have him fill in for Marcus May, then all of a sudden you're you're trying to figure that out, right? You maybe you want to have Tyron play slot corner. Well, if you have him play there, then you have to figure out someone to play free because I don't think Marcus is a guy you want to you want to pigeonhole at free safety. I don't think he's a center fielder the way you want him to be. So, you know, that's where I start to have questions. I think that you play a lot of three safety lineups and throw maybe Justin Evans in the slot or Tyron in the slot, and you kind of rotate and, and keep the defense and keep the offense off guard by doing that. But that's where I have the biggest question. And if, if you need any evidence of why, you know, a struggling safety tandem can, can be tough to watch, go back and watch the first few games of that 2020 season where Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams were trying to get used to each other. They got beat over the top over and over again in the first, you know, four, five, six games of the season. I remember, I remember DJ Moore running untouched 70 yards down the middle of the field. There was one or two others where it's just like, okay, coverage busts. And, you know, when we're talking about a guy who's got a lot on his mind in Marcus May and uh, a guy like Tyron Matthew who's kind of getting to this system new, that's a concern for me. And that's where if this team struggles, 
especially going against Tom Brady in week two, a guy who, despite being 75 years old, is still chucking it downfield with the best of them. You know, that's that's an area where you could get exposed a little bit. Although even now, Tommy Boy supposedly got problems, personal problems, which, oh, I know everyone feels so bad for the guy. His perfect life is not so looking so perfect. But yeah, we'll, we'll see with him. I'm still think I'm sure he's still going to be the same Tom, even though he's looking a little different since coming back from that 11-day break. But along with safety for me, I, I'm still concerned with that offensive line. Maybe not right now going into week one, but, you know, Cesar Ruiz, uh, the health of guys like James Hurst, even a Ryan Ramchek who's had knee issues. Can that line hold up and protect Winston? Because, man, oh, man, he's going to need it. And I know there's still questions still surrounding him but I'd feel a lot more confident with a healthier O-line. And yeah, right now, I guess they're pretty healthy, but I'm still not a thousand percent sure if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think when you're, when you're talking about an offensive line group, continuity is, is so important and being able to bring back familiar players where you know where people are going to be and you can like time those double teams that's important. So that's what makes me feel a little better about the offensive line. But yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about Cesar Ruiz kind of looking better this camp than he has in the past. And hopefully that's not a mirage too. Hopefully he can kind of take that kind of next step. I think working with Jari Evans is going to be big for him. So hopefully that's true. Um, and, you know, James Hurst is a guy who I think he's looked good, but I, you know, there's a reason he's a journeyman NFL lineman, you know, he's not a guy who you would pencil in as the week one starter at left tackle. So, you know, that's an experiment that could go badly. You know, you might be in a situation where you have to give him a lot of help over on the left side. And that means that you can't help Ryan. You can't double team, you know, other part areas that you might want to double team. And, you know, that might limit what you can do offensively. So I think that's fair. Um, and, the other and position, too, I didn't mention Andrews. He's, he always seems to pop up with something, whether it's a elbow, ankle, foot, toe. I, I just, it always seems to be something with him. So yeah, that, that continuity and the depth scares me a little there, and I'm hoping that th they hold up a little bit better, but that that position is so brutal. Yeah. No, I mean, offensive linemen get hurt, and I don't think that their depth is particularly good this year, so we'll see. Um, the other position that I think we talked about before that we didn't really get into is linebacker. It's the same situation sure, yeah. where I feel comfortable with Demario Davis and Pete Werner. I think you're in good shape if those are your starting middle and will linebacker. You don't run a lot of a lot of base, although without CJ, maybe you run more base, right? Maybe that's a situation where, you know, without yeah. a dedicated slot corner, it makes more sense to play big and uh, just see what you can get done um, in coverage. But yeah, I think if you have Pete and Demario there, I, th I thought in this in the few reps we saw from Pete in camp i thought he was covering well you know, he's a good cover linebacker he's got good speed i question you know the size you know he's not a very big guy but you know i think you're okay there you get past him and i have questions i have serious questions about you know who comes in at will right you cut nephi sula you cut eric wilson you know is it are you gonna bring in andrew dowell as your as your you know he's probably gonna line up at the mic so you know who who are you bringing in you're not bringing in bond as the will he can't cover Dallas Caden Ellis is more of a mic. Into mind. I mean, who? Caden Ellis? Yeah, he, he can't cover either. Right. So, like, I don't know who your backup will is. I think you probably you probably elevate Nephi 
And yeah, cause I, you know, I don't think Eric Wilson can, is a particularly good cover linebacker either. So, you know, if you were going to bring in somebody, you would have done it last week. So I think this is the group you're rolling with and, you know, hopefully they can get it done and hopefully Pete's healthy. Cause if he, if he, you know, if that groin, you know, flares up again, I don't know if, you know, that's, that's a weird way to put it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think he's dealing with a muscle strain. If that, if that becomes an issue again, um, remember we're keeping an issue again, we're keeping a close eye on that groin too. Yeah. Well, you've been watching it close. I I don't know. I don't know if it's flared up. Um, it's inflamed. Oh God. Anyway, if it becomes an issue again, I don't know where you turn. I don't know if he goes down mid game and suddenly you have to just find a will linebacker. I don't know who it is. Um, so yeah, I think linebacker is a close second for me in terms of the concerning positions, but the fact that we're talking about the defense and not the offense, I think that's a positive thing because I think this defense is going to be good. And it's just a question of who gets it done. Yeah. And I, th- I think we agree too. like the tight end position is a question and you're curious to see what's going to happen there, but I'm not overly quote unquote concerned with it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, other, other positions of concern. Are there any, you know, we talked about tight end. I think they're solid at tight end. Uh, you know, I would like to see more done in the passing game by the tight end group, but I think we said this before I came on air. If all I have is a tight end group that can block, I still feel okay about it. Sure. Right. Cause you have the weapons at wide receiver. You don't need your tight ends to be weapons. You just need them to hold up. You need them to be consistent. I think that's what you have. Yeah. You talk about the blocking too, with the tight ends, we know Troutman's decent. We haven't seen much from Taysom. Jawan Johnson has hopefully gotten better. I know that Dennis Allen talked about that. You know, he beefed up and still has that same speed, though, but is, you know, improved as a blocker, learned that position more. And obviously with a guy like Nick Vanette is that's his specialty. Yeah, and he's he's here because he can block, and he was also willing to cut his salary by about, you know, that, that million helped. and a half dollars to stick around. Uh, that. That, that'll keep you around, I think. Um, Latavius wasn't willing to do it, and we, you know, he ended up on the Ravens. So um, we have a question here from Wu. Chris Alave versus Falcons stat prediction. You know, I, I am curious. We haven't really seen a ton from Chris Alave and Jameis Winston. He had that one reception for 19 yards. Um, but, you know, I think that if you're going to see Chris Alave make an impact in his rookie season, it's going to be on the big plays. It's going to be on the chunk plays because you don't, assuming Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are healthy, you don't necessarily need him on those kind of move the chains routes. And so he's going to be able to be a little more aggressive down the field. And that's where I want to see him being taken advantage of because we really didn't see it much in camp. We didn't see Jameis go deep much in camp. So hopefully that's a connection that can thrive during the games. Yeah. If I had to like guesstimate, I'd say something along the three, four catches in the 60 to 75 yard range, hopefully a touchdown I think would be a reasonable expectation for week one i'm i'm not obviously putting a hundred yards on the board right away for the rookie but would totally be possible against this falcons defense yeah it's definitely possible and yeah i think that's like when you're when you're looking at chris Olave and if you're trying to figure out a fantasy projection that's where it gets tough because i think he's going to be a boomer bust guy i think he's gonna you know i don't want to call him deshaun jackson because i think they're different players but i think like the type of deshaun jackson we've seen the last few years well he ha- he'll have these big games and then they'll disappear for a couple games, assuming that the, the weapons are healthy in Jarvis and and Mike. I right. think that you could see that happen with him. But, you know, it, for him, it's about consistency. And I just like to see him 
be available and be downfield making plays on the ball. And because you know James is going to look for him, right? And if they have to account for Alvin Kamara, they have to account for Mike, and they have to account for Jarvis, he's going to get a lot of one-on-one coverages downfield, and he's just going to have to go up and make plays. And, you know, I don't think that you're going to have to, you know, work too hard to convince Jameis to air it out against man-to-man coverage downfield. I think that's something he's going to be, if anything, you need to talk him out of that. And so, you know, I think he's going to get his chances and uh, it's just a matter of what, if he can cash in on them. What I'm more interested to forget Olave's stat line. What is the Saint? What is the Falcons killer Taysom Hill's stats going to look like against the Falcons week one? Because we've talked about that too, a little bit of how he's had some of his best outings against Atlanta and, Obviously, no time would be better than week one in the ATL, putting this team on his back, whether it's, you know, running game, passing game, special teams. If we see that Swiss Army knife taste him back, uh, even throw a pass in there, a completion, it would be very, very interesting because we still really don't know. I mean, we know, but we really haven't seen Taysom utilize that much this pre- this offseason, if you want to call it. For sure. And, you know, if the, if the Saints were really trying to troll the Falcons, they would just show up on game day and be like, actually, Taysom's going to start. Taysom's starting. <laughs> we don't need to start Jameis against you guys. Taysom has gotten it done every time. Then Andy Why would Dalton we bother? Andy Dalton shrugging going, hey, what about me? <laughs> this is a question. Who do you think will win the Aaron Donald versus James Hurst battle when the Rams slip him over there? I'll say this. If you ever end up in a situation where Aaron Donald is one-on-one against James Hurst, there will be a tight end standing <laughs> right next to James Hurst. You are not allowing that to happen. If, if you see that, you're calling a timeout because, you know, I like James Hurst. I think James Hurst is a quality NFL player. He would get eaten alive in that matchup. But again, you don't see Aaron Donald rush from the edges that much. So I think that should be easy to avoid. If you go back and you... um and you watch how the Saints handled J.J. Watt in the opener a few years back, I think that would give you a good example of how they would handle that because J.J. Watt was always a guy who would move all the way around, and the Saints just did a really good job of running away from him, of keeping the action to the side of the field he was not on, and I think that's the same thing you have to do with Aaron Donald. Honestly, I'm more concerned about Aaron Donald when he's rushing on the interior because you can't do anything about him if he, if he just bull rushes through the line. He's going to break your quarterback's finger, as we've seen, right? So that's what I want to avoid if I'm facing Aaron Donald. Because, you know, the fact is, if you have a guy rushing from the edges, you can help. You can shift the tight end over there. You can keep the back in and you can chip him. If he's coming from the middle, you know, you just have to hope that, uh, you know, Caesar, Andres, and Eric can, can handle it. And, you know, most NFL players cannot. So that's kind of my read. But, yeah, if, if you're asking me who would win one-on-one Aaron Donald versus James Hurst, you know, I, I love me some James Hurst, but I'm picking Aaron all day. That that's November though. That's that's ways down the line to worry about. Yeah, so much. Hopefully, James Hurst is still alive in November. <laughs> okay, I got I got another pick coming up here. Okay, let's see. Who am I going to take yeah, here? I, I don't want Khalil Herbert. I don't want Tyler Higby. I don't want Evan Engram. Oh, this is bleak. Is Higby still on the Rams? Hey, come on, man! You got to complete. <laughs> I, mean, I have every other Rams player. Why wouldn't I take Tyler Higby? <laughs> Oh man, Doncho Hilliard, man, this is this is bleak, guys. I guess I could might take have a to defense. go defense. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take a defense. Take the Saints, huh? 
I mean, why we, not? We talked about the Saints players, right? so I'm going to take the Saints defense. They're a now defensive team. So now you can tell the, uh, all the guys in the locker room, it's like, hey, I'm counting on you this week. For yeah. real. Uh, did Darius Winston show any short throw accuracy in camp? That's from Tell Me About It, 504. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not as concerned about the accuracy. I'm more concerned about the willingness to accept those throws, right? Uh, I think you're right um, there. And because, you know, he's a, he's a professional quarterback. He can throw accurately within 10 yards. You know, it's, it's not something he can't do. It's something he needs to get, he's, he needs to focus on and be better at. But a majority of the time, the question for Jameis isn't whether he can make the throw that he needs to make. It's whether he's going to not try to be a hero all the time. And when he's gotten into trouble in his career, I think that's where you saw him make the wrong decisions where, you know, you have a free six, seven yards underneath. You can make a second and 10, a third and three and live to fight another down and just move, keep the chains moving. And too often you see a guy just, just say, you know, I'm going for it and just throw it up. And that's, you know, when you end up with a 30 interception season, you end up, you, that that's something that happens more than it should. So, you know, I think I've seen him be a little bit more receptive of that. You know, in the one drive we saw him against the, chargers i would say that he didn't do that where he probably should have it worked out and he completed a long pass to jarvis lander on second and 14 but in a a real game where you know if you're behind if you're ahead or you're just trying to move the chains you know there was two wide open throws underneath that would have picked up you know seven eight yards that would have made it a third and manageable and you instead made a difficult throw to jarvis landry it worked so you don't complain about it but that's where you know I would probably want to see him be, you know, okay, I have Alvin Kamara open in the flat. All I have to do is get him the ball and he can make a play. That's what I need to see him do more. All that said, I think he has done that more in camp. He just didn't do it in that one game. We only saw one series, so I'm not going to overreact to it. And so that's what I need to see more because, you know, you go back to that Giants game last year, Alvin Kamara didn't catch a pass. That can't happen right man that can't happen he is too good of a weapon as a receiver he is you know he you can make it flip a coin between he and christian mccaffrey for the best receiving back in the nfl and not using him means you are not using your offense's best weapon you can't do it so that's what i need to see him be better at and yeah sure if he throws it he, he needs to be accurate when he does it um but i don't i don't think that that is the issue for him so so much as just being willing to do it I love Eugene Sutherland's comparison here saying Tampa Jameis was Leroy Jenkins. Those days are gone. Yes, I'm hoping those days are gone. He definitely looked a lot more reserved last season and didn't wasn't, you know, no risk it, no biscuit kind of thing for him. That was definitely uh, with those Tampa Bay uh, Yuccaneers and Bruce Arians. But I, I thought the under the tutelage, you could say of Drew Brees and Sean Payton, we're now seeing a definitely, a definitely more reserved Jameis Winston. And it'll be interesting to see if that carries over come the regular season now in this year with both those guys out the picture, or does he revert back to some of those older tendencies? Hey, and, and you know, I want to see him be a little bit more aggressive than he was last year because last year a lot of these decisions were based on the fact that I don't trust the guys I'm throwing the ball right, to. Right, he couldn't be, exactly. You know, and I, and I think that there's a there's a middle ground that you have to be able to hit with Jameis that is, you know, 
taking advantage of this guy who throws as pretty a deep ball as you'll see in the NFL and also needs to be able to take advantage of his weapons who make their money within 20 yards of the line of scrimmage, right? So that's, that's the, what you need to marry in this offense that I think is probably a question is can Jameis kind of, kind of balance that aggression with, you know, allowing your, your playmakers to make plays. Right. And we saw this in the LSU game last night in the opposite direction. Jaden Daniels is great at running. He also has some of the best receivers in college football and they look bored out there because every time they ran a route downfield, they turned around and he was running. And I think with Jameis, it's like if Michael Thomas is creating five yards of separation and is open for an easy first down and you're chucking it downfield into double coverage, he's not going to like that. Right. And you, you as the quarterback have to be able to make that determination in real time. And that's what, as Jameis is trying to improve as a quarterback, that's what he has been trying to improve on. So yeah, he, 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 that's where I need to see him improve. And I think he's going to, and uh, yeah, we've, we've been going on this for a while. That's where we'll cut it off. Thanks for everyone who listened. Thanks for everyone who caught the live stream, everyone who listened to the podcast. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, hit the subscribe button. Even if you don't plan on listening, just hit the subscribe button and give us five stars. I don't mind. I don't care. Just do it because it's nice and we like it. You know, we have to kind of build this up so we can rank in the in the podcast algorithm. So that's always a challenge. And every every review, every rating helps us do that. So yeah, and right now the Philadelphia Eagles podcast is number one. So we got to catch up to them for sure. Yeah, but that thing's been going on for years. They're cheating. We're, we're coming with a, a one year flying up the charts with a bullet. Yes. But we're gonna we're gonna get them this year. We're gonna get them. They 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 and CJ don't know what's coming. Can't wait. All right, y'all. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Inside Black and Gold. It's always fun chatting with y'all. Can't wait for Week One. We're gonna hit y'all with another episode later in the week. Falcons hate week in full swing for sure. Boom. Peace, y'all.